of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, our Lord. Who is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Born of the Virgin Mary. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. Was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into death. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. And sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. God's holy church. The communion of saints. The forgiveness of sins. The resurrection of the body. And the life everlasting. Amen. Man, we are going to have that memorized one of these days. Amen. Me too. All right. Hey, um... Tonight, I am excited to talk to you uh, from our series, Jesus Said, what? Um, and if you don't say it like that, you're wrong, because that's how it's said. Uh, but before we do, um, I want to just talk about for a second phrases that we use uh, that not only get people's attention, but they also uh, demand a reaction. For instance, if I was to be hanging out with you later on this evening at Taco Bell, and I look you square in the eyes, like a cow looks at an oncoming train. And I look at you and I say, I have to go to the bathroom now. You are going to be a good friend and help me find a toilet, correct? Yes, because you don't want me to poop myself. Okay. Um, another one of these sayings is, for instance, if we were all just hanging out uh, in here and I was talking and all of a sudden I was like, fire! You can't do that. Don't do that anywhere else rather than what I did just here. There's no fire. Uh, but if I was to say that, like, and I'm not giving you some warning, um, you would probably start looking for the nearest exit, right? Um, if I told you that uh, tonight, uh, say you were at home and your mom came and she knocks on your door, if you have parents that knock, that must be nice. Um, having a door was a privilege in my house. Um, I assume you're all talking about um, not having doors. Okay. Uh, if your parents were to come and knock on your door tonight and say, hey, uh, no big deal, but there's a tornado coming to our house, normally there's two responses. One is like, okay, like we need to get into our safe room and call James Spann and see what he says. Is his jacket on or off, tie on or off, right? Um, or there's a special group of you in here who will have, you would care less about what James Spann has to say because you are running outside, right? You're like, if I'm going down, it's going to be awesome. I'm going to film it. I'll be Instagram famous till they take it down. All right. Um, another one of those sayings is if, for instance, tonight during small group, I came into your small group room and looked at you and said, hey, there's free donuts in the foyer. You would disregard anything your small group leader was saying. There are not free donuts. Um, I'm just as sad as you are. But for instance, if I told you there was free donuts, you would probably be very eager to go get one because they would be Krispy Kreme because everything else is garbage. Um, I'm not wrong. All right. And lastly, uh, for those of you who probably aren't listening to me or talking to your neighbor, if I was to tell you I was engaged, um, it's a miracle, yes. It would elicit a response that is false because um, I am single as a Pringle and not looking to flamingle, so don't hook me up with your older brother. Um, uh, fun story, 
Um, one time, um, I, was, I was dating a fella, and a uh, dear mentor of mine decided to tell everyone um, in a church service we were engaged. Good times. Um, some of you were here. You saw the look of shock and awe on my face. It's because I wanted to poop my pants and throw up at the same time. So, now that we've gone through all that, uh, tonight we're going to continue um, in our series uh, called Jesus Said What? And uh, we've been looking for the past couple weeks at these sayings of Jesus. And in case tonight's your first night here, um, these aren't like the warm, fuzzy, like make you feel good in your soul things that Jesus said. Instead, they're, they're the things that Jesus said that make us kind of ponder and kind of have us, cause us to have a reaction of like, huh? Like what? Like that Jesus said that? And so tonight, um, if you have your Bible, uh, which you should, um, but if you don't, it's fine. Uh, we have phones and we'll have it on the screen. Uh, I want us to look together at Luke uh, chapter 14, verse 26. Uh, if you brought your Bible, Luke is about halfway in there in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. So flip to the middle and then flip the pages to the left a couple. All right. So here we go. Luke 14, verse 26. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Um, I don't know about you, but the first time I read this, I thought maybe like they had made a, like a mistake in the Bible, right? Because uh, it, it sounds really harsh. And uh, if, if we're not careful, we can read this and be like, Jesus, in case you forgot, you gave me my crazy family. I did not pick them. Uh, but for some reason, I love this crazy bunch that you've put me in. And uh, why would you say such a thing? It seems a little extreme. But when Jesus is talking in these verses, he's not trying to be a party pooper. Okay, father of the bride, nobody. All right, so, or give us a reason to be justified in our annoyance with our parents. Because some of you, as you sit here right now, you're like, man, when I go home, I know I'm going to hear it from my mom. And this Bible verse says to hate my mom, so you know what? I like church tonight. That is not what this is talking about. Do not go home and be like, hey, Pastor Amber told us today that we could be like, bump y'all, mom and dad, we're out. You will be homeless, and my house is not big. You cannot come live with me, so don't misquote scripture, okay? Um, instead, Jesus makes this audacious statement in hopes that he'll draw our attention to something bigger, a, a much greater truth. And so tonight, I'm going to give you three points that will help us understand what in the world Jesus is trying to say here. Um, so if you have paper and pen, uh, you should take notes because people who take notes get into heaven first, in case you didn't know like a fast pass. I tried all week to come up with something new and I got nothing, so we're sticking with it. All right, so here's the first one. When Jesus is speaking, we must pay close attention. Um, have you ever noticed in like Star Wars when Yoda talks, not a lot of other people are talking, right? Because what he has to say is really good stuff. And Jesus, in case you didn't know, is way wiser than Yoda. Um, and so when Jesus is talking, when we read the Gospels, uh, it's really important that we slow down and understand what he says. And so tonight, um, as we read uh, the, these words that don't exactly make us feel all warm and fuzzy on the inside, um, and much more make us feel like we want to poop and throw up at the same time, um, 
we have to pay close attention because otherwise uh, we, we can let our initial understanding and opinions uh, kind of get in the way of understanding the point. So Jesus says this. He says, if you want to be my disciple, right, you have to hate, you know, you must by comparison hate everybody else, your mother, father, wife, and children, brothers and sisters. And Jesus wasn't saying this because he doesn't like family reunions. He wasn't saying this because he never wants you to eat Aunt Kathy's banana pudding again. Okay? Come on for banana pudding. But here's the thing. Jesus was saying this so that you and I would understand the importance of things in our life. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you, ha- you have to make sure that I'm number one in your life, that I'm the very, the very most important thing, that by comparison, it looks like you hate everything else because I'm so important to you. And when, when he says this, what's so cool is Jesus isn't like just hanging out with people who are super spiritual, right? I remember when I first became a Christian, I felt like God only talked to my youth pastor and like my small group leaders, but like he couldn't talk to me. But when Jesus makes this crazy, what seems like a crazy statement, he's talking to this huge group of people. So Jesus is talking to this big crowd and he, he says this. And I think he says it to this big crowd for for a couple of reasons. But one of them is that I think Jesus wanted to separate the fascinated from the faithful. Or if you're taking notes, you can write faithful versus fascinated. Sounds very intimidating. Uh, Growing up in Florida, I I had the privilege. I live an hour and 28 minutes from Disney World. Um, So I had the privilege to go a whole lot. Um, It was awesome, in case you were wondering. And uh, we would go to Disney all the time. And there's two types of people that go to Disney. There's the fascinated and then there's the faithful, okay? Fascinated people go to Disney like this, right? They plan their trip. They're, like, super excited to be there. Um, They might go back to the hotel and take a nap because, you know, Florida's hot. Um, You know, they'll come back and, like, grab some Dole Whip. If you haven't had Dole Whip, when we get to heaven, we will eat it together, it is like pineapple and Jesus and ice cream. It's so good. Um, you know, they, they grab a Dole Whip, they get a couple autographs, take a couple cute Instagram pictures and put inspirational quotes from Walt Disney um, that don't mean what they think they mean, and they call it a day. But then there's faithful Disney people, and their experience does no, 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 no. It does not start when they arrive. No, no, no. These people get there early, Okay. Most of us park back where Donald Duck is and, like, you have to take a tram. No, 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 no. The faithful people, they're there before it opens, right? They, they make sure that you know that they're an annual pass holder, okay? When they walk in, they greet the, there aren't workers at Disney. There's cast members, right? And so they know the cast members and they greet them by name and, and then they go and they find their name when Disney was doing something and they bought a stone that was way more expensive than my car. And they buy this stone and it has their name on it and and they go and they're wearing their Disney shirts and they stay all day. They're the kind of people that ride the hall of, go through the hall of presidents because they feel obligated to. Uh Uh-uh, everybody else, we just skip that ride, right? (laughs) We're like, I'm American, but I want to be on Splash Mountain. Um, And then they don't just leave when they, you know, when it starts to close or the fireworks. No, no, no. There is a special group of people, uh, and there's a name for them. I can't remember it. But they stay as far back in the park as they can in order to be the last people out. And it's like a for real thing, right? And so I have had friends who are such Disney, faithful Disney fans, that they will stay in the very back of the park so they can be the last person to exit. 
It's too much, okay? I love the mouse, but that's too much. <laughs> and so just like Disney, there's people in that crowd when Jesus said this who are both faithful and fascinated. So often um, when we think of Jesus, if we're not careful, we think of this like really cute, precious moments Jesus, right? Like this whole food hipster Jesus who's just like holding lambs and like never wants us to feel and like wants to drink Americanos because like, you know, milk is the devil. He's vegan. Um, but Jesus, I just feel like Jesus was a little bit more hardcore than we paint him to be. I feel like Jesus was like a manly man, but he was going to cry if, we, if he needed to. Um, and so uh, Jesus, when he was walking the earth, he wasn't just this like timid, like hugging sheep kind of guy. Uh, in fact, people knew who Jesus was. He was famous. Jesus was popular. If Jesus had Instagram, he would have more followers than Kim K. Okay? And Jesus was actually famous for something unlike Kim K. All right? Y'all will defend her more than you'll defend other people, all right? Um, it's a whole nother sermon, all right? We can still be friends, okay? It's all good. You guys don't even know if I was talking about Kim Kardashian. You just assumed. All right, I was talking about her. All right, and so the Bible tells us uh, that Jesus would walk around and hundreds and thousands of people would come from all over to hear what Jesus was saying. All right? Jesus was not only preaching incredible things and, and things that were challenging, but Jesus was healing sick people. Jesus was raising people from the dead. I don't know about you. I've never seen that happen. And if it did, I don't know that I would still be here. I feel like that's real creepy. I've watched The Walking Dead. I'm out. Um, but Jesus was famous, and people knew who he was. And so news had spread. And when Jesus makes this statement that he says, hey, you have to love me so much that it looks like you hate everything else. He was trying to see who really was there for him and who was there to see him do his next God trick. Right? He said that, that he knew that the faithful could handle it, that this wouldn't throw them off, but instead it'll call the fa cause the fascinated to have to think long and hard about this following Jesus thing. But to the faithful, they realize that this command meant that you and I would love God so much that everything else looked like hatred. Listen, it's not that you hate everything else. It's just that loving God, like loving Jesus is the best, right? I have friends in my life who challenge me so much because they, they live this out. They love Jesus so much that you're like, hey, you want to like do other stuff? And they're like, no, man, I'm just, I'm just here for Jesus. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, uh, me too. I'm going to go get some chicken. Um, you know, they, they really challenged me. And, um, you know, I remember being younger. I think I was eight or nine years old. And the Game Boy Color came out. Some of you guys are like, well, that's not Game Boy Color. It's this brick with buttons, and you play games on it. And it was before phones, so it was cool, all right? And uh, Pokemon Red and Pokemon Blue, um, that's when the Pokemon first came out. You play it on your Game Boy. And I remember for Christmas that year, um, my parents got me a Game Boy Color, and they got me other stuff too, but I remember I was more excited about that Game Boy Color than anything, right? My mom's like, look, you got socks. I'm like, quiet woman. I got to catch a Pikachu, right? Actually, I would never say quiet woman to Maria because she um, would come in here and um, just reprimand me. 
I'm very scared of her. But uh, but it was my favorite present, and it was so much better than all the other presents I had. And it, that's how it has to be with Jesus, guys, that everything else is like, yeah, that's cool. I'm glad I have it. Um, but I have Jesus, and that's the best thing I could ever have. Jesus wants to be that best gift. He wants to be our number one person, not because he's selfish, not because he doesn't have enough friends. But he knows that when Jesus is number one, when he's the first thing in our life, you'll be amazed how everything else falls into place. When our priorities are in the right place, when Jesus is first, I guarantee you everything else in your life starts to fall into place. Is this easy? Heck no. But it's so good. Following Jesus is never boring. It's never easy, but it's so good. Uh, All right, so now that we understand that Jesus doesn't want us to actually hate our family, um, what are we supposed to do with this family we do have? So if you're taking notes, this is point number two. Jesus wants us to know, wants to show us who our family really is. Um, I don't know about you, but the family that I come from is far from perfect, okay? Um, in fact, they are borderline crazy at times. Um, in fact, I would dare say insane. Uh, there are people in this room who have met my family and can attest to that. Uh, but as crazy and as insane as they are, they're my family and I love them. Uh, you mess with them, you mess with me, right? And, and I know there's, for all, most of us in this room, we feel the same way. Um, they're, they're my people, they're my family, and I proudly claim them. So when Jesus made the statement, and when I read the Bible, it's so easy to get upset and think, hey, Jesus, hold on a second. You, you don't get what it's like to, like, really love a family. But what we can be quick to forget is Jesus had a family, too. Uh, when, when Jesus was born, he had a mom named Mary and a stepdad named Joseph and uh, several half-brothers. And so Jesus, when he says this, he understands what it's like to be part of a family dynamic. And I think Jesus wants us to not only put him first, but I think he's wanting for us to understand who our family really is. So when he says this, uh, that, that we really grasp what it means to, to love our family. And yes, it's our brothers and sisters, our mom and dad, your mima and your papa. But even bigger than that, it's, it's the family of Jesus. It's followers of Jesus. Uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is Mark chapter 3. We're going to read it in just a second. And uh, pe- Jesus was younger, and uh, his family had taken him to a temple, and uh, they had kind of uh, forgotten he had been there. Anybody else been left in Walmart before? Yes. Um, but uh, Jesus was there, and, and his mom and his brothers are looking for him. And if you have your Bible, look with me um, at Mark three thirty-one through 35. Verse 31, And his mother and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And the crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Right? It's like for some of you, like your little brother comes in and is like, uh, Mom is ready to go, <laughs> and uh, you better come on. Right? And so verse 33, look at what Jesus says. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? I don't know about you, but if I said that, my mom would backhand me. Okay, but he's Jesus, so it's okay. All right, verse 34, and looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. 
In this, Jesus isn't disrespecting his mom or his brothers or Joseph, but instead he's letting us know that, that everybody who's a follower of Jesus, they're our brother, they're our sister. The people sitting next to you are your brothers and sisters. God bless you. That, that we're all part of the family of God. Um, I don't know about you, but, but I take a whole lot of comfort in that. Uh, when I first became a follower of Jesus, I was 17, and I was going to a church, and my family did not go with me every Sunday. In fact, they thought I was kind of crazy. And so I remember I would go to church, and there were these incredible families, the, the, the Links and the Walkers and the Gonzaleses, and they would let me come sit with them, and they would invite me to lunch. And, and even though my family life was falling apart, they showed me what it was like to be part of a family. They would feed me lunch, and they would hang out and pour into my life. I wouldn't have to sit alone. They showed me the value of what it was to be a part of a family. For some of you in here, um, you, you come to church uh, every week, and may, maybe you sit alone or you sit with your friends and your parents aren't here. And, and God's not telling you that you need to be mad at your mom and dad, but instead Jesus wants you to know that, that there's a bigger family for you to be a part of. Those families were family to me when mine was falling apart and couldn't be a good family. And I'm so thankful that I had those people in my life because I don't know that I'd be here today without them. For some of you, maybe you're in here tonight and you say, Amber, uh, the idea of even being part of family makes me want to throw up. Maybe your parents are going through a divorce and it's really rough or maybe uh, you have a rough situation um, that you're going to have to go back to tonight. I, I totally get it. But... Here's the thing. God is so good, and he's such a restorer, and he's so good at bringing things back together that I promise you, even as crazy as your family is right now, that he will work it all together, that he'll make sense of this at some point in time. Um, I, I think I've told this story before, but I might not have told everybody. Um, I've never met my biological father. I have no idea who he is. I've never seen him. Well, I'm sure I have as a baby, but I don't remember. Um, I didn't have a good memory back then. Uh, I, I've never seen my biological father ever. His name is Sean. That's all I know. Um, and so when I was about two or three years old, the, the guy I called dad adopted me. And he's an incredible man. He's the best dad in the whole wide world. He's the best. Um, but God was so intentional and so careful with my life, that, that he wanted me to have a good family. He wanted family to be a part of my life. And when I was 15, uh, my parents, uh, I found out my mom was cheating on my dad in, in a way nobody should have to, and um, my family just fell apart. And I remember I was so angry. I would drive to school and not just be mad. I would, I would blaze through the back roads of my hometown, just mad, just listening to dumb emo music. <laughs> and I was so mad. And I felt like things would never, ever get better. I felt like this is the way it's always going to be. And when I was about 18 years old, I was about to graduate high school. And my dad started to date this lady, and she was one of my teachers, which was super awkward. Uh-uh. You, you say that? I got to go in late the whole second half of my senior year because she would write me passes. Joke's on you. All right? Uh, I don't know who that was, but I appreciate you. Um... So it was weird and it was awkward. But my dad, for some reason, really likes my English teacher. And guess what? They got married. Yeah, it was really sweet. Um, and here's the coolest part about it, is that 
as my dad started to date my stepmom, her name is Linda, she's awesome. Uh, I remember her mom, who I, I call Graham, uh, looked at me in the eye one day. We were sitting at her house. She looked at me and she said, from now on, you call me Graham because you're part of this family. And, um, of course, I'm like, okay. And then her husband, who was my seventh grade substitute teacher, um, his name was Mr. Van Dusen, so imagine what we did with that. Um, Mr. Van Dusen became Gramps. Yeah, because he was married to Graham. That's how that works. Um, and this incredible couple... An amazing family where they could have been mean and hateful and harsh towards me immediately offered me hope and love and acceptance. And there's some of you in here tonight that when you hear me talk about family, you're like, Amber, like, my family's so messed up. How could this ever be? And for anyone in here tonight who's experienced a broken family, the restoration of being welcomed to be a part of the family of God will bring freedom and hope, and it's life-changing. Um, my mom remarried to this incredible Jamaican man who cooks the best food I've ever had in my whole life. And uh, him and my mom had my little sister, and uh, she's in fifth grade, and we are best friends, and uh, we talk all the time. And uh, Bethany, I think I have a slide up there. Uh, uh, yeah. Here's the crazy thing. God took my little family of four and made it bigger. Was it the way that he intended to? Probably not, but was he in it? Yeah. Because now instead of getting to love three other people, I, I get to love six. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Just kidding, seven. I knew Mary Catherine would correct me, so I just figured I'd do it ahead of time. Now I get to love seven amazing people. Are they perfect? No. That's why family is so important. It's that why this is so important we understand that the people next to us are part of the family of God. There's some of you in here that you come every Wednesday no matter what. You could have strep throat. Uh, you, could, you could have a cut that would be like oozing and you'd still be here. Here's why. If your cut's oozing, keep it covered. Okay, we love you. Um, here's why you come. Because for some of you in here, even though you may never say it, this is your family. When everything else is crazy, when everything else doesn't make sense, the body of Christ, your small group, your friends here are your family. And we have to realize how important it is as, as brothers and sisters in Christ that we, that we walk together. Because when we as followers of Jesus say, hey, this isn't just about me. But this is about us as the family of God, and, and, and we're going to put God first, but we're going to be a family to those who don't have a family. It will change your life. And number three, so now that we know Jesus wants to be first and we understand who our family is, the last and final thing for us to do is embrace the call to discipleship. Embrace the call to discipleship. Um, I don't know about you, but I have seven older boy cousins, and they are all terrors. They were so mean to me. That's why I have thick skin. Um, I have seven older boy cousins, and they all are just massive now, and they played football for colleges, you know. Um, but when they were younger, they were mean. And I remember uh, being about 
seven or eight years old and being like, hey, I want to play with you guys. What are you playing? They're like, you can't play with us. It's boy stuff. Okay, I get it. Whatever. Um, and so I would ask over and over and over again. And finally, my cousin Wes was like, okay, fine. If you want to play with us, you have to survive boy survival camp. I was like, I'm not peeing in the woods. Not doing it. Um, and so my, my older cousins, um, they put me through a, a, a series of obstacles in order to be a part of their club. Uh, I rolled down a hill in a wagon. It's kind of why I am the way I am. I hit my head real hard. Uh, um, I had to eat a fistful of dirt. Don't worry, it cleans you right out. I had to throw a football in a perfect spiral. I can still do that. Um, I had to jump off a swing when it was as high as the swing could go. Did that. And last but not least, I had to survive this game that involved a little mini like uh, exercise trampoline. Uh, we called that uh, trampoline in my house. Mom's on a workout craze. Uh, it's like this little tiny trampoline. And so my cousins had decided that they would throw a baseball onto the trampoline and it would pop up and I had to catch it. Um, so I was like, oh, that seems easy enough. I can do that. Well, um, the day that we decided to do that, um, apparently I'm not really good at catching things. And the baseball bounced and it came up and it hit me in the face. Uh, and my nose started to bleed all over the place. And they're like, shh, don't tell your dad. I'm like, oh, I'm telling my dad he's going to kill you. Um, be afraid of Uncle Fred. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I'm never saying that again. And um, <laughs> have a good night. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but notice... When Jesus says this crazy hard thing in Luke, he doesn't say, you have to go through all these, all these obstacles. You have to jump through these hoops, and then I'll decide if you can be my disciple or not. Instead, he never pushes us away. He just lets us know that it's not going to be easy. He never pushes us away or tries to keep us from being his disciple. In fact, he just puts it all on the table and says, this thing isn't easy. I heard one... Um, one person defined discipleship, defined following Jesus like this. He said the entry fee is free, but the annual subscription will cost you everything. And let me tell you what, it does. It's really expensive. But it's so worth it. Jesus wants you and I to join him. He doesn't want us to just be fascinated. He wants us to be his disciples. He wants us to live this life that's so full and abundant and incredible. But it can only happen if you and I will decide to put Jesus as the very first and most important thing in our life. So tonight, um, I want to give you an opportunity to pray. And um, I'm going to ask the small group leaders if you'll make your way to the front. Daniel, if you'll put on some worship music so I sound more spiritual. And here's what we're going to do. We, we won't take long. I just have two quick points tonight or two quick things to pray about. Um, and I'm going to ask you to do this. Everybody will just bow your head. You don't have to close your eyes because some of you would fall asleep and we'd never get you out of here. And, and here is it. Tonight, these, these are the two things I want us to pray about. 
if you're in here tonight and you say, Amber, um, I've heard your message. I heard what it is you're saying. And if I'm honest, I just don't have Jesus as the very first thing, the most important thing in my life. And tonight, I, I know I need to make him the most important. So tonight, if that's you with nobody looking around, I'm going to wait a second. With every head bowed and every eyes closed or looking at the ground. If that's you, I just want you to slip up your hand so we can make sure we, we pray for you. Yeah. Yeah. On the sides, in the back, for sure. You can put your hands down. Um, and the last thing I want to pray about is, is this. And uh, is, I, think it's, um, I think it's for more people in here than you think. Tonight, if, if you heard me talk about family and you would just say, Amber, my family um, is going through a lot. Things aren't perfect. Things aren't easy. Maybe it's divorce, maybe it's an older brother or sister, maybe whatever it is. And you would just say, I need God to help me love my family. I need to, to get to a place where I can, I can be an encouragement to them and I can help point them towards Jesus. If that's you with nobody looking around, I just want you to slip up your hand. You don't even have to raise it high. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. You can put your hands down. Thank you for being honest. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, and if you raise your hand for anything, um, just go ahead and make your way to the front. If you push in, knock into me, it's okay. Um, but, but make sure you pray with a small group leader. Uh, so let's pray. Jesus, we love you tonight. God, I thank you that you are speaking to our hearts. God, that you, God, are showing us how incredible it is for us to put you first. So Jesus, I pray for every student in here, every leader. God, help us to make you the most important thing in our life. God, I pray for those that raised their hand, their hand and said, my family isn't perfect. Jesus, would you be with those tonight? God, would you be with them as they go home? God, would you remind them that you never leave them or forsake them, but instead you walk with them? Jesus, we thank you that you're the God of the impossible. So Jesus, help us to take your words and, and, and meditate on them, God, and not just let them be uh, uh, cute sayings, but instead, God, challenge us and change us. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray.